all the stereotypical guns and knives and everything else that guys go through on the streets. You know, you never thought that something like a sneeze, you know what I'm saying, would put fear in somebody's heart the way it does in here. Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. There are currently many prison phone campaigns happening across the country as prisoners are being closely confined in unsanitary conditions due to the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. There are many groups organizing call-ins to insist prisoners be set free. You can visit bit.ly forward slash freethemnow for a comprehensive phone zap master list. You can use these phone campaigns to insist that prisons are a public health crisis and no one should be caged during a pandemic. Again, that comprehensive website is bit.ly forward slash freethemnow. In this week's episode, we air some more phone calls we've received through our coronavirus hotline. If you or someone you care about is behind bars, they can call our hotline to record a message, or you can record a message on their behalf. That number is 765-343-6236. And now we have updates from Wisconsin, Italy, North Carolina, and Connecticut. Currently, what's going on, they locked the institution down. Um, supposedly, this was so that they could uh, minimize the amount of contact that inmates had with one another, which was understandable. You know, it's, it's inconvenient for a lot of guys, but yeah, we definitely understand what was going on. We have very minimal movement, which, you know, as inmates is inconvenient, but we do understand what was going on. Now, the dilemma comes from the fact that they are not doing the proper things to ensure that uh, we're not being exposed to this from the officers and staff members that are still coming inside the institution. For instance, there's uh, officers passing out medication. They don't have gloves on. They don't have masks on. Uh, the cleaning of the institution pretty much consists that when they put a tray in our trap holes, um, they spray the trap after we get the tray back, and that's pretty much the end of the whole the, the so-called cleaning and disinfecting process. We still feel that the communication that goes on, um, you know, we, we have no problem with the, you know, with the lockdowns and things of this nature here. I think that it causes a lot of tension when things are being explained to us about why certain processes are occurring, uh, what they're doing about it. And, you know, uh, it, it, it's causing a lot of arguments back and forth between staff and inmates because nobody seems that, you know, it seems like they're freestyling with, you know, I understand this is something new that nobody's ever really gone through before, but they freestyling with the process and not giving anybody any explanations of what they're doing, why they're doing it, you know, how long something might go on. So, uh, yeah, I think it's just a pretty tense time for everybody on both sides of the equation. You know, as somebody that pays a little bit of attention to the news, I think that there was kind of a late response into, you know, taking how serious that this COVID-19 thing actually is. And, um, the warden's response to it, as I said, trying to be fair to him and not just be some anti, you know, administrative type inmate. That's not what I'm trying to do at all. Uh, his uh, 
his response, not so much what he's doing, it's, it's the follow-through. Like I say, you have officers that are passing up medications to everybody, they're stopping at everybody's door, they don't have gloves on, they don't have masks on, we don't know if this is due to the fact that they don't have enough of the equipment to go around to them, or is it just simply, you know, just careless disregard for the fact that, you know, if we're going to get, if the inmates catch this, it'll be from somebody like one of the officers coming from outside, bringing it in. It's causing a lot of tension in here, you know what I'm saying? Just unnecessary things. And uh, like I say, a prison environment, you would expect to be scared of a whole variety of different things. And you never thought that you'd be scared of some virus. And, you know, like I say, I'm, I'm absolutely a little terrified of the situation that's going on and the way it's being handled in there. In my estimation, there's a lot of, you know, being in the prison environment, there's a lot of bravado that goes on where guys put on these fronts like, you know, um, you know, they're not cheap, but they are. You can hear it in their voices. You can hear it any time somebody around the sneeze. I mean, the sneeze might be something due to, you know, just dust to me or an allergy of some sort. But you actually hear people just quiet down. When a sneeze occurs, because everybody's mind, and you can actually see the tears in their mind ticking when they're thinking about this. So, yeah, it would be my opinion. Yeah, guys in here are absolutely scared. Guys in here are terrified. All the stereotypical guns and knives and everything else that guys go through on the streets. You know, you never thought that something like a sneeze, you know what I'm saying, would put fear in somebody's heart the way it does in here. Like I say, they seem like they're not doing enough communicating to calm the fears of every myself included. You know, they're not doing enough to calm everybody's fears in here. I'm not saying that you have to coddle us, but communication is definitely, you know what I'm saying, a bigger style than just, you know, you just doing things and you don't, you feel you don't owe us an explanation about why you're doing it, how it's being done, you know, et cetera, et cetera. By the fact that the institution is built where 80% of the sales in here are double sales, there's no possible way to have men stacked on top of men like cordwood and expect us to actually lay off here and be able to uh, apply to some type of social distancing. Minimizing movement doesn't stop the fact that, you know, the sales are open. When I, when I say open, I mean there's these bars, grid-type things, so um, it would still be the same as being in the room or next to somebody else because the sales are jammed right next to each other. If somebody stands at his door and sneezes, then everybody in the sales next to him, you know what I'm saying, is capable of catching the, the blow-by of his sneeze or what have you. you know, and um, I say we've been getting indicators that this stuff is a little bit airborne, or not a little bit, but it's possible for it to be airborne. So, you know, like I say, uh, the social distancing thing, it's impossible in this environment. It's understandable why it's impossible. We're not just trying to heat everything on them like this is their fault, but there's no way to deal with that. Most of our information, you know, uh, guys that have televisions or radios, things of this nature here, and then, you know, uh, the president does seemingly this daily update on what's going on with the coronavirus, what he's implementing, et cetera, et cetera. So, as I said, even guys that are anti-political, you know, this is such a concern that everybody's sitting back watching this word for word to try and, you know, uh, make some sense out of, you know, how it affects us. The administration did pass out a, uh, I don't want to call it a flyer, but they passed out a, a memo giving us like uh, a page and a half of uh, 
how the coronavirus is spread, what we can do to prevent it. Like I said, some of their prevention methods aren't being followed through with. Like I say, uh, our biggest concern is the officers not wearing, you know, uh, PPE stuff to uh, ensure that if they bring something in, that they're not spreading it to us. Criminals, well, however they want to label us, we are human and we have the right to feel like we want to survive just like everybody else. And, you know, uh, there's not a lot of sympathy for us. We get it, but, you know, come on. Uh, a lot of us weren't sentenced to death penalties in here, and you basically subjecting us to a death penalty. I'm delivering my COVID-19 update from inside USP Pollock, which is located in Pollock, Louisiana, near the city of Alexandria. On April 1st, 2020, I woke up to more restrictive modified operations here at USP Pollock, as well as a rumor being circulated of one BOP employee and one prisoner here at USP Pollock suspected of having contracted the COVID-19 virus. Thus far, this is just an inmate rumor. BOP employees are allowed to come and go daily in and out of the SEC complex at Pollock. Only eight cells are allowed on the flats at one time. Previously, 16 cells were allowed out for two hours a day in order to allow prisoners access to phones, emails, and showers. The cells here at USB Pollock are designed to house two people. On its face, these new measures are an attempt by the BOP to adhere more closely to CDC recommendations for social distancing, as well as limiting the amount of prisoners allowed out of their cells at one time. It is imperative that I highlight once again that most of my fellow prisoners here are healthy. Our risk to COVID-19 infection comes from BOP employees and not each other. Please understand this point. We get showers on Tuesdays and Thursdays of the week, and majority of the time we're locked down. But they do have quite a few individuals in the North Shale Hall. Cell, I believe it's 7 through 30, that's uh, already quarantined from different parts of the institution. As far as individuals being taken out of the institution, um, there's no information about that except for HSU does come over to the cell hall uh, daily to check up on the ones that's quarantined. Uh, most of us, we feel a lot safer in our cells because that way we don't have to uh, uh, breathe in uh, anybody's uh, germs or come in contact with anyone. Keeping us locked down solves some of the problems, but it, I don't understand how it can solve some problems if you really don't know who's sick. But I just want the public out there to know that we're doing the best that we can as inmates to take care of ourselves because basically we're on our own. It would be nice if they wish to put a product on our canteen, and that's one of the biggest problems. We have absolutely no access to hand sanitizer whatsoever. So the institution is basically really doing nothing for the inmates in terms of allowing them to have products to protect themselves other than their philosophy is as long as you're locked behind your cell door, then we don't have to worry about you or worry about you catching this virus. However, they say nothing about if one of their officers come in that's sick and don't even let them know that they're sick and cough, sneeze, touch something. We don't know what they're touching the while. Uh, when, especially when it comes time to uh, handle uh, food and stuff like that, the tear tenders uh, pass out the food, but there's no guarantee that uh, all of these people wash their hands or wear uh, uh, protective uh, gear, and they have contact with the individuals that are in quarantine.
you know, we were hoping that uh, nobody here, it seemed like me and the basement, I hope nobody don't catch at the camp, because they catch at the camp, they're going to be real hard because you don't know who, we all be around each other. You know how to go. Some of them how could it feel like it's not going to, it won't happen to them. It, it won't, it won't happen. That's why I look at it. So I'm 65 years old, so I, I take it serious. But ain't too much I can do. We all in, in a dorm together. We, I mean, it's 63 people in a dorm. We still, you know, we sleep no more than two feet from each other. And, um, I mean, it's, it's kind of outlandish with some of the things that they're doing. Um, like I said, we, we sleep in here together. We no more than two feet from each other. And the things that, that they're doing, they really don't make sense. And when we ask them, well, can we see the memo that y'all keep saying come from Raleigh? They won't ever show it to us. So, like I said, some of the things that they're saying, I think they're doing on their own. Because every time my inmate says something about, can you know, well, can we see the paperwork and y'all saying Raleigh saying do? They don't ever produce nothing. So now they're not practicing no social distancing. And uh, what they told us yesterday, they said the superintendent, they wanted, they said they wanted to get a picture on phone, have us, they they marked out some marks with, with some paint, and wanted us to stand in the marks. So they said, well, we need to take this picture for y'all so we can see in the body, let them know that we are trying to practice social, that we are doing social distancing. But that's only one one time, right, one time going to the lunchroom hall. In the morning when we go to breakfast and at lunch, they said they ain't worried about that. They just want to get that picture at that one time and do it in the afternoon so they can see in the rally. I mean, it, it, so they can see in the rally, so rally can see that they are trying to practice social distancing, but during the whole other day, they're not doing it. As far as, and, and if somebody do get sick, they, they went. Now, the, the place that they had is, has shut down because OSHA shut the, the main building down because it had asbestos, it was um, poison with lead paint, and they didn't go by the proper equipment. So OSHA came and shut that main building down, so now they got trailers on the yard. They got eight trailers. And they and one is a canteen trailer, one is a clubhouse trailer, and one is uh, the operation trailer, and one uh um one is for the assistant superintendent. He got a trailer, so you got eight trailers, and then they they turn one of the trailers, half of it is uh the canteen part, and then the other the other end, which only hold boy, it said captive eight people. The other end only 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 holds. Five, five people, but if somebody gets sick, like, like somebody got sick last week, they took the person out of the dorm and stuck them in that trailer on a mat on the floor. But they don't have no TV, they don't have nothing to read, so that person has to sit in there all day, can't come out that trailer with a mat on the floor for um, two or three days. I mean, instead of them, instead of sending them, instead of sending them to um, the hospital or, or Real medical treatment, they're sticking people in a trailer. A trailer that they rented from the outside and, and put you on a mat on the floor. And But they, they got all, there were three people laughing, they got all three of them, you know, in that same little area. They're not practicing no social distancing. Hi, Kylie, this is Lisa again, calling in regards to Marius and updating you all on how he's doing. Um, I spoke to Marius on Thursday evening, the 28th, and a prisoner on his unit did test positive for the coronavirus. Um, that person was removed from the unit in terms of what that means. Oh, I'm unsure. 
Um, Marius said for treatment, does that mean solitary confinement? Uh, again, he didn't, he wasn't given much information. Um, they are now routinely, staff are routinely testing everyone's temperatures uh, to make sure that nobody else is infected, but there's no other actions that have taken place. They had suggested that they would not allow people to continue making emails or telephone calls to the outside to reduce infection. Uh, so far, that has not happened. I understand other prisons maybe have let uh, people have reduced cost calls out or emails out. Uh, that has not happened at Danbury at all. Prices are still the same for both. The situation is, is really is completely ups here in Italy and I think more or less wherever and uh, but what we noticed here is that I mean we we, we learned a lot about uh, we learned a lot uh, from from prisoners because they were really the the first uh, part of the population that they they start a revolt they uh, um, in this difficult period and so it's like uh, I mean for us now in this moment the communication uh, from inside to outside, it's it's really important because they are like also suggest suggestion to us something they are they are, they are talking to us uh, with uh, with rebellions with riots etc. I'm an inmate at a American correction. My mother got coronavirus in New York City. I just wanted to pray for her, but I got a few more things I need to share with you on the lines in this criminal justice system I'm in. I'm in the criminal justice system in Lumberton, North Carolina, in Robinson County. And I noticed that this coronavirus is everywhere. Our our president of the United States is trying to flatten, flatten this curve, and they're still transferring inmates from camp to camp. Well, uh, to my understanding, I, I heard that a lot of these inmates that are moving back and forth is sick. So... If you keep on moving these inmates around, eventually people is going to get sick in the system. A few guys is sick in here, and I know that for a fact. And it's going to get worse. Like I'm saying, it, it is not good if if president is trying to flatten the curve, don't move, no movements, everybody stay put. I don't know if it's the governor having them transferring or is is just the camp do just from camp to camp just do what they want to do. Last night five inmates came in. Last week eight came in. This is the problem I'm having. If these guys gonna get transferred, they gotta go to a place they call Sandwich, Guilford County. And in Guilford County it's like a holding a holding facility for fifty inmates in one cell in one cage, fifteen, one fifteen, one fifty. Everybody is bungled up in one cage. And when they're ready, they take the bus them and separate them back to these different different facilities. What I'm saying to you, it is not good. And and it's gonna be terrible here. It's gonna be real bad in here. I watch the news every day and I see how people is dying. My mother went to the hospital last night. The ambulance took her and it and they took her to Queens. Queens couldn't even house her because there was no space for her. And, and she, the residents of Queens, 
retired resident. She's 75 years old. They said they take her and move her to Manhattan, to Central Park, which not even have the space to uh, accommodate the elders that work hard, pay taxes here, and it's so sad to see all these people losing their lives. And I just want to share this with you that you could share it with, 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 with whoever out there or share it with the media, you know, and it's not good. I got this letter from a, a friend of mine that you send to a guy that sleeps next door to me. We so close in these bed area, it's only three feet apart. They were sitting, they were sitting for the table about two weeks ago. They break the table down to two. You can't sit no more than two, two at a table. We, we used to have a barbershop that cut two, two people at one time. The barbershop closed. So I know that if something changes, but they won't stop transferring these inmates back and forth. And it is so sad to know that all these people losing their life. My mom got sick. She got it. She in New York City. I made a mistake. I was in Durham. I got arrested. And I'm here doing 14 years and eight months. I got seven more months left to go home. I tried to fight to get home that I could see my mom. I can't, I don't think I'm even able to make it. I got seven more months. My release date is December this year. That's all I need to share with you. And thank you for listening. And please share with other, other rest of the people in the street. We end our episode with the first part of a conversation with Ty Renfro and Ben Turk, who give us some context on the Wisconsin prison system and its current methods of dealing with the coronavirus. The Wisconsin Department of Corrections is notoriously torturous and awful for people. There's a lot of use of solitary confinement. Wisconsin's culture generally has a very orderly German ordnung history to it. So even the progressive history of, you know, progressive mayors and governors are still very like orderly kind of progressives and it's built and feeds into the prison system and the police being so hard here. Uh, It's also an extraordinarily racist state. We have the highest disparities of incarceration for black people and the second highest for uh, Native Americans. So we see that through throughout society. Uh, Milwaukee has the highest incarceration, like the zip code with the highest incarceration rate in the world. It's the north side where most of the black people live. Um, it's a very segregated city and the racial disparities across the board are atrocious here. So there has been a history of resistance in the prison system. Uh, in 2004, there was a work strike organized by a guy by, uh, named Mustafa, um, who was moved out of the state. He was put in solitary confinement for a long time. In 2016, there was a big hunger strike that started at uh, Wapan and Columbia Correctional. Uh, like 30 people went on hunger strike and the state started force feeding them after only 10 days. Force feeding someone on hunger strike is, is not medically necessary. They continued striking despite being force-fed for 250 days or more than that. So that's some of the history of what resistance inside has looked like. There's so much, especially since that work stoppage back in 2004, the DOC has done a really good job of controlling anybody who resists or fights back, using solitary confinement, uh, using harassment in order to like get people who emerge as leaders, anybody who files complaints and things like that. 
the guards will target litigators and anybody who's complaining to harass them endlessly. Uh, there's also widespread medical neglect and abuse throughout the system. It's, yeah, it's really bad conditions at other places and learned things about how uh, other prison systems work in Wisconsin uh, stands out in certain particular ways. It's, you know, every prison system is different. What I hear about in Alabama is worse in some ways, but also less rigorously controlled. And so Wisconsin has this particular mix of, uh, you know, there's no contraband phones inside the system. The guards are very controlling and, and professional, <laughs> but they're also very racist and really target the people and have a lot of control and lockdown on the facilities. So bring it to like uh, a different kind of level. We're dealing with uh, institutions that have the backing of guards who have the largest union behind them here in the state. Uh, and they are the they make up the largest number of mem those members of in within those unions. Additionally, those medical staff are the people that we that we're mostly concerned with, you know, in relation to the COVID-19 epidemic because those negligent and abusive medical staffers are helping to make decisions about the safety and well-being of our prisoners that we understand to, to be ineffective and really uh, truly inhumane in, in terms of um, addressing their, their safety. So in the last year, year and a half, uh, there's been a new administration. Tony Evers came in as a reformer, but a very moderate reformer. Governor Evers came in promising to make reforms to the prison system and uh, to address you know, the widespread racism in Wisconsin and has not actually given results in any of that. He didn't uh, reduce the prison population at all. He didn't end crimeless revocations like he said he would. He didn't close MSDF and said he invested $8.1 million in repairing MSDF over four years. MSDF is the Milwaukee Security Detention Facility. It's a high-rise prison in downtown Milwaukee, and it's one of the places that has had a COVID-19 exposure. So the DOC says that there have been no exposures, no one in their care. That's how they like to phrase it, because they're liberals who try to use, you know, sanitizing liberal language. Secretary Carr always says the people in our care and none have confirmed positive for COVID-19. But there have been nine staff members who have tested positive for COVID-19, one at Wapan Correctional two at Columbia Correctional, and three at Milwaukee Security Detention Facility, and then also three um, community supervision officers uh, who are the people who put people into Milwaukee Security Detention Facility. We know that the staff members are able to be tested, you know, using outside measures, but the prisoners inside are treated in a different way. Their testing procedures kind of like a, a stepped process by which they're first screened for influenza A, and if they test positive for influenza A, they don't receive a COVID test. And if they still have symptoms and, and do not uh, test positive for influenza A, then they're screened for uh, COVID, but that test is sent outside the facility. And we're now hearing updates from Wapun Correctional Institution and possibly others uh, as of now that people who do test positive are immediately taken out uh, to public hospitals. So they become a public issue and no longer are persons in the DOC's care. 
So these are all the different things that Secretary Kevin Carr and DAI, the Division of Adult Institutions, Administrator Mokhtafa Sahaya, seem to be doing to cover up and conceal the extent of the problem within the prisons. People at Wapan Correctional have told us that there's 30, 40 people who have symptoms who are sick, and the CDC and the World Health Organization advise to treat symptoms like infections. And instead, like Ty was saying, the DOC does the opposite and looks for all the other explanations for those symptoms in order to avoid having to admit to having a positive test. Thank you to everyone who's called in. We'll have more calls on our website this week. There have been too many to air them all, but we do ask that people still keep calling and giving us updates. If possible, you can leave a message at the number, and we will also personally try to answer each call we receive. Again, that number is 765-343-6236. Please keep calling and stay safe. This has been KiteLine. Anyone can reach us via our P.O. Box, Kite Line Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. Kite Line is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. Kite Line, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Thank you for listening.